Welcome to Sinner's Take, another Catholic Guys podcast of which we are the worst. I'm Alec. I'm Eddie. And he froze. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Bobby. And today we're going to be talking about lessons from quarantine. And I know what you're thinking. Haven't we done some quarantine episodes? Yes, but not this one. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have done, I mean, technically one episode, actually, the thing is none of the episodes have been directly about the quarantine. They've all been indirectly about the quarantine, I feel like, because one of them was about hobbies. The title says coronavirus. It says our obligatory coronavirus episode, but it really was more so about hobbies than anything else. This is, you know, however long this takes, but I think I've learned a lot about my faith and about a little bit about myself. And I think there's some important lessons that I've had to take away, uh, mostly um, reluctantly, I would say, but uh, has been good. And so just talk about some of those things and uh, we'll see how that goes. Well, real quick, just to, just to start, I think it'd be good to mention if just briefly, if nothing else, but um, I think the, I, I have grown a lot in my own personal prayer life. I think I've, you know, we've talked a little bit about this in the previous ones, but we haven't had Bobby on in a little while. Definitely not Bobby and Alec together on in a little while. So this quarantine has brought all the Sinners Take cast back together. <laughs> um, still waiting for that illustrious Bobby and Gerardo recording. That that will never, that can and will never happen. We'll That's have Sinners Take bingo. <laughs> Sinners Take bingo. That's everyone's middle space and no one will ever get it. And... But he, I think the Lord has been very good. I remember I was talking with Cody, another frequent podca- uh, host on the podcast. He was just talking about how the Lord has made himself very available in personal prayer, which I think if anybody is accessing that, like taking the time for mental prayer, because we are cut off from him sacramentally, I really do believe he has uh, poured out like an abundance of grace just spiritually and has really called all of us into himself if we've embraced that. Um, I know it's been a struggle for myself, but I've come, I think it's, I've learned a lot about praying just in my room, praying uh, when it's not glorious, praying when I'm very distracted. And so that's been, right at the bat, that's been really good. Yeah, I, I remember you had talked about this kind of partway through quarantine, and I wasn't having the same experience. I think, um, because I wasn't really putting the effort in, right? Like it's it's easy to go to mass once a week, but then when you're kind of separated from the community a little bit and not putting the effort in, but then as things kind of, I don't know what changed. I wish there was like a moment or like a decision that I had, but it, I think it was just over time. And then I've found the exact same thing to be true. And it's made even just streaming mass a lot more impactful. Because it's become that I can't just rely on that to have a relationship. So I'm finding myself developing it in new ways. So I've heard it said that we are all not in the same boat. We're all in the same storm, but we're all in very different boats. And this lockdown time is really going to vary depending on if you're single, if you are a parent, if you are a parent with little kids, like I'm in the situation right now with toddlers who think every day is Saturday. So they're oblivious, which is great, and they're easy to deal with. But at the same time, they're really difficult to deal with. For all day, you're working out of a daycare. 
older parents, I mean, parents with older kids have uh, a different challenge with middle school and high school kids who are rightfully going crazy. And for our family, I think it's helped ground us in like streaming daily mass every day to have some regularity to keep us in touch with where the church is. And um, I think just cultivate gratitude and that like we can't wait for when we can go to church again, even though, you know, it's been nice that again with little kids going to mass is exhausting. So it has been a nice turn of events that like, oh, we don't have to worry about the whole house is a cry room. So that's where we are. What I've been musing on as well, and Alec, you're going to be a lawyer soon, so maybe you can do canon law on the side in all your spare time. I've heard it you know, argued about on the interweb, if we have a right to the sacraments or not, like, are we owed the sacraments and the priests and the bishops should be doing everything they can versus, you know, it's, we're not entitled to the sacraments. It's all grace. It's all gift of God. And so I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't think the word right is correct. Like, I don't think we're owed the Eucharist. I don't know. It's just something to kind of muse on. Like, I think, especially as Americans, it's like, I have a right to freedom. I have a right to free speech, whatever it's like. And, and that entitled attitude can spill over to the grace of God and to the sacraments. Yeah, we have a lot. And I'm trying to, I don't want to go down too far down this rabbit hole of like, the politics of it in the church or in the government, right? I think that there there's other people talking about that too, but uh, it has taught me a lot. I think, simply put, yeah, we we do have a bias because we live so um, in so with the sacraments so readily available to us on a regular basis that we kind of take them for granted, which I'm going to get to in a moment. But um, and I, I, just to speak, because that's the first I've really thought about that. Are we entitled to the sacraments? Do we have a right to them? And I think obviously, no, right? We don't have a right to life. We don't have a right to salvation at all. But the difficulty is, it's, but it is almost mandated like out of charity that I, I think that the priests and bishops should be doing everything that they can. And again, if they are really are doing everything they can, then that's one thing, right? But I do think it is like a mandated on, of charity that you should like if you have the capability to do it to some extent you should be doing it because i mean imagine if you like you're not entitled to life-saving medicine but if i can give it to you and i'm choosing to not or whatever it might be right when i when i when there is a reasonable amount of a possibility for me to offer it to some extent i would say that that is a lack of charity on my behalf which again not to get too much into that, but there is a problem, though, in the sense of something that I've learned personally, right? And I've actually struggled a lot with the streaming of the Mass because it really puts me in a weird headspace because with it all, right? I've, I've struggled with the lack of movement and um, the frustrations with the with not being able to receive. And, and we've done streaming Masses at my the high school that Bobby and I work at, so I've actually gotten to receive more times than I deserve, for sure. And this uh, no, super annoying thing is I don't even like I get zoned out during the mass still. Like, um, um, and so part, I part of the problem. A, yeah, exactly. <laughs> definitely part of the problem. But um, I, when I stream the mass, it just it kind of puts me into this weird headspace of frustration with a lot of things. So I think, though, it has pointed out in my life a real presumption of grace. Right. I think we presume uh, particularly with sacrament of reconciliation, and then and even with the mass, we fall into the sin of presumption a lot. 
which for those of you guys who don't know is where, you know, sin of presumption in the terms of reconciliation is you sin because you say either, you know, to some extent mentally you say, well, I can go to confession and it'll be fine, right? Like, like I'm going to sin because I know I can go to confession tomorrow or whatever it is. And uh, this is definitely for myself and I would imagine for a lot of other people has kind of reorientated that ship of, oh, I, I might not be able to get to go to confession when exactly I want to. So um, I should tr- probably not sin. And it's kind of uh, instilled a little bit more of that fear of the Lord, which I think we, in me personally, have lost a lot of. Um, so thoughts? The way I've uh, heard it put is people without insurance are the best drivers because they have to be the most careful. And I, not that I think you should be driving without insurance, but I think the analogy of when you have something kind of to fall back on, and we don't want to treat it like that with the faith. Like you said, I can't say, I'm going to go to confession tomorrow. Anyways, I'm going to start circling and repeating you. Yeah, it's true, because we start outsourcing our safety to other people, and so you stop thinking about it yourself. And the same thing, too, with... um Again, you're just assuming the grace of God. Oh, I'll get to confession on Saturday, so I've got two more days to, you know, rack it up. Which is like, again, a piss-poor attitude. And I think not having that available, I think the isolation we've all been experiencing has been just a a hotbed of sin on one hand. But I think on the inverse, I think there are people who treat confession with too much laxity that really it is maybe hopefully a wake-up call of like, wow, I could lose my soul over this. I need to put up a fight because confession is not going to be available whenever I need it. I find that to be so true. And there's a, there's a couple of, you know, jump off thoughts that have to do with this, I think as well. One that I've noticed in myself is how a lot of times I just, I don't think I have true authentic, like in a pure way, contrition for my sins. Um, I don't think really that, you know, the ideal reason why we don't sin is because we don't want to offend the Lord. But I, I, a lot of times I look back on sin with affection and like, like I I like it. Right. Uh, and you hear it all the time. It it comes through in so many different ways. How many times when you're with a group of people, does somebody love telling that story where they got really drunk? Right. Or like, you know, those crazy wild stories from their PC days, right. Pre-conversion days or whatever. And like, why, why are we boasting in this? And I find that a lot in myself, like, and sometimes I have, I was, I've spent some time reflecting on, like, and it's not really shocking news to anybody, right? I think a lot of people think about this, but, like, if getting drunk wasn't a sin, I probably would do it on a more frequent basis, right? If looking at pornography wasn't a sin, I probably would do it on a more frequent basis. And where is that? Like, it's helped me to really uh, instill that hatred of sin, you know, to to— detach myself from it to have less affection towards sin and a greater hatred for it uh, i think is important and yeah i want to kind of emphasize that the hatred of sin because i never i don't remember when we had talked about that but we are supposed to it must have been someone was asking like are is there anything that god wants us to hate or that it's okay to hate and we were talking about that we should hate sin I don't know if hate is the exact right word, but just that idea of this is something that is coming between you and the Lord with how much 
fervor do we try and clear that path instead of fill it up? And that's like a machete to the weeds. You know, I should hate these stupid weeds. I should hate hate the thing that's invading the garden and screwing it up. And so there's a rightful, like, you, this does not deserve to be here. This is choking off the life-giving um, flowers and fruit and everything. And so I think hate is the right word for it. Yeah. And then the other thought on presumption was, because it's not, it's not, I don't think, it's a, it's a tough one, right? Because, like, you don't want to... Because there's really like no way out of it though. Because like as soon as soon as you fall to, you're like, well, I fell to it, but like I gotta confess that, and I know I can confess that, and it's just kind of this weird spiral. But I think what's been helpful for me is, and I wonder if people are gonna get tired of me quoting the Chronicles of Narnia, but I've been like reading them, <laughs> and I'm I'm just so like I'm just all about it right now. I find so much spiritual goodness in it. I find so much beauty in the person. I find so much like. I hear the Lord speaking to me in a lot of what C.S. Lewis has written Aslan's words. So, but you know, I, I was thinking a lot about like those moments when somebody screws up in the books and they approach Aslan and just like paying so close attention to like how he responds to them as they apologize or like are too afraid to apologize. And like how there's one time, particularly in the first book, um, the magician's nephew, where the guy, the, the little, the little kid, he like, screwed up about something and he knows he screwed up so he can't look up at Aslan but he wants Aslan to heal his mother who is sick and he like can't look up at him so she's like looking at the ground this whole time and eventually he like he works up the courage to like look at him in the eyes um and ask him for it and it's he it says like he's surprised to see how close Aslan is to him that like he looks up and almost like hits him in the face because like Aslan's like looking right on top of him it's just it's so incredibly beautiful and I think the problem with presumption is we don't approach the Lord with looking at him in the eyes. We, appro- we approach the confession line with our heads down. We like reach our hand out with looking away. And then he kind of just hands the grace out and we leave without ever actually looking at him. And I think if we actually were to like take time when we sin and when we ask for forgiveness to look at the face of Christ and like how we've hurt him and like look at look him in the eyes and see the ways that we've damaged his heart and then ask him for the forgiveness. Like he wants to give it to us, but like if we don't take time to appreciate the damage we've done and we, then we just get this false sense of entitlement. And I think that's where the, the real form of there's, there's no healing in that. Right. And, and that's where the real problems of presumption come in. So I would encourage everybody in this time to like, it's okay. Like I said, to fall a thousand times, but every single time you fall, I encourage you to really like, Look the Lord in the eyes. Don't just don't go to confession with your head down. Envision yourself really having to walk up to his feet or even worse to him on the cross or him during his scourging or whatever is going to help you and be like, look, look, Lord, I did it again. Um, and accept the forgiveness because he wants to give it to you. But, you know, almost like don't let ourselves off the hook for like how much we've hurt him, uh, I think is important. Yeah, I want uh, I think you're making a good case for how some people misunderstand that it's about fear. And there, there is a sense, right? Like, uh, I, I fear the loss of heaven and the pains of hell, but it's not just that. Are we running away from hell or towards heaven? Right. Are we just scared of being, you know, 
in eternal fire or is it out of a relationship with him and an understanding of his love for us? Because you can kind of almost get there either way. But I think from the outside, a lot of what people see is, well, we call these things sins just because we're scared of, you know, a tyrannical God or whatever it is. But it's not that. And I love the picture you're painting of it is the relationship that we're hurting. And that's the benchmark of a maturing Christian. I think because it can, that's kind of like the imperfect path is fear of hell. That's why I'm walking a straight and narrow. And the hope is that it evolves to a genuine love of the Lord, which involves a hatred of sin. I don't want to do that thing, not because it's bad, but because it's it's empty. It's it's not the fulfillment of my desire. It, it's a false uh, decoy. And I hate that it brings me and so many other people down, you know. So there, there are stages we go through. And I, I think stages where we have to re-go through if we've gotten lazy, complacent. And that's where things like this, these, these global lockdown can shake you out of your complacency if you allow it to. The, the second lesson that I was reflecting on was just like being out of control of situations. Uh, personally, I am not really usually phased by being out of control. Um, people get really freaked out by like zip lining and being in an airplane during turbulence and things like that. That really doesn't phase me at all. When I'm not like in control of my life, it doesn't bother me. It's like, it's, it's kind of just, um, like, well, I can't do, like, I really can't do anything about it because either the captain who's in flying this plane has got this or he doesn't and we're all going to die. Like, <laughs> but like, it's out of my control. So whatever. And that doesn't phase me. But what I've noticed is difficult about this time particularly is when like, it's there's something maybe that I, I disagree with or um, there's something that I think there's like some injustice being done and uh, like in this the sadness of people falling away from the faith in this time, the sadness of people not being able to receive the sacraments like and I can't do anything to right the wrong. Right. It's one thing to like, like I said, I, I'm super careful, like my own life, whatever, who cares? But the thought of like there's like I, I want to do good and I can't do good and I can't make a change, right? I can't, I'm not in the position to come up with a plan to start having masses in the parking lots and things like that. It, it's it's out of my power and it's out of my control. And so just, it, like I said, that's part of the reason why I'm struggling with the streaming of the masses because I I, I feel so powerless. I feel so uh, powerless to, to do good when uh, that's usually not the case. Like obviously we can still do good all the time with our with the people we love and the and our families and people we talk to but you know it's almost like when you know when there's a when there's a tragedy when there's you know when world war ii strikes you could you sign up right like you go and you sign up for the military because there's good that can be done and i can do something about it but it's so there's nothing that i can do right now and that's that's tough especially as a man because we are called to serve whether that's again great example with World War II, this generation that rose up and as boys, you know, they were 18, 19, 20. My grandfather lied about his age. He was 17. He lied about his age so he could go over and fight. Sinner. Get him, boys. Get <laughs> but what, what young man would do that today? Yeah. You know what I mean? Would lie so he could go fight. Yeah, that's just a brilliant example because now we're told the heroic thing to do is stay inside and watch Netflix. 
and you're selfish if you dare go outside and you know it's just it's exhausting too because we don't know who to trust this scientist says one thing the other scientist says something different this newscaster says one thing vice versa and so we're all kind of spinning i found solace in the sweet baritone voice of mike rowe of dirty jobs <laughs> who's been making the rounds on some interview uh, like hosts lately and he talked about like we're all in the five stages of grieving like there's a lot of anxiety right now and i think a lot of people are grieving but they don't realize they are um because a lot has been taken away from us um and if not a lot then little freedoms or little things we got used to and we're coping with that and so we're in these in this variety of stages of denial anger bargaining depression acceptance and it's also like the goalposts keep changing so it's like we're repeating the cycle or again it's not like a one through five sometimes it's a one to a three to a two to a four back to the two and the same thing like when that control is gone of this or the illusion of control even i thought i had control of my life and everything and it was actually very thinly held together and now that it's gone um and for me like the first couple weeks i i was good i was just kind of enjoying the time with my family and um dealing with virtual masses but the longer time has gone on now i've started to really get depressed <laughs> like not clinical like i don't think clinical depression but just like like i don't know and it feels like the nation's at a breaking point like enough's enough you see certain states opening up certain dioceses are allowing masses again people are just fed up like again i bill maher who i don't he, he kind of drives me crazy but he's <laughs> every every so often he's he hits the nail like every so often he's willing to say the thing that you you don't think he would say and he said what's the point of life if we can't live like he actually said like enough's enough we have an immune system for a reason um we gotta live and eddie i think so much of this has been an attempt to control this microbe this attempt to control death like we can hope we can ward off death if we all just do this and again we all agreed to this weird experiment for a month or two, and then it just, the longer it goes on, it's like, now it's like, well, we're not going to open up till we find a cure. Like, a cure? Like, give me a break. Like, it's this, and I think when you don't have a faith, when you don't have a faith and there's a life to come, and that death is just a transition, if all you have is this life, then you will lock yourself in your home and refuse to go out. And, you know, it's it's just bizarre, but it's this, attempt to control really what we we have no control over i have two things to say the first one is mike rowe is a bass he does some barbershop singing it's actually pretty good uh and he's real low so no baritone <laughs> voice here <laughs> um but uh slightly more to the point um just barely <laughs> there's uh from the uh, classic book from Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, which, if you haven't read it, is very powerful. Phenomenal. Um, yeah. He meaning? says... I already got that, though. <laughs> then you're good. <laughs> um, 
And it says, a man with a why can bear almost any how. And so when you know why you're going through something, whatever it takes to get there becomes easier. But I think that struggle of the unknown, which is kind of what you guys are talking about, it can be hard to see why we're still in the house going through this. So the how of it all becomes a lot more difficult. If there was an end date that we could look at and say, okay, two more weeks and we're going to be okay, it makes it a little easier to hang on. But when you don't know for how long or what it's going to look like, it becomes a lot more difficult. I've got, so actually real quick, one, one, one that I feel like it's easy. I'm just going to say it. I'm probably not even going to stop talking to let you guys comment on it. Uh, it's really hard to be charitable to the people you live with. Everybody knows that. <laughs> um, we got to work on that. So find a way to work on that. That's pretty much all I'm going to say on that. Um, the important one though is finding an identity in God and not work or anything else. Um, that has been a struggle for sure. Um, I view my, like I've talked about a bunch of times on this podcast, I really, really like my job. Um, I find a lot of fulfillment in it. I feel like I'm doing the Lord's will in my life a lot of the time. And, you know, getting to serve him in that capacity brings me a lot of joy. It brings me a lot of meaning. Um, and to have that stripped away has been very difficult for me. It ha Like I said, I mean, and I've always struggled with that Messiah complex of, you know, learning that I'm not the Savior, Jesus is the Savior, and trying to form people into saints and not forming people into just, like, second eddies uh, who are just like me. And so that's a struggle, and it's been kind of a—it's been helpful with that as well. But more than anything else, it's just—it's had—I've like—and this is—it's funny because, like, everybody has their testimony. This is something that I've always struggled with is the idea that I need to, like, bring things to God. I need to earn his love. I need to, like— I'm almost scared to approach him or timid in approaching him when I'm empty handed. And so to have all of that stripped away to the point where it's like um, all that all that I have to give him is myself. And, you know, looking at his love for me in that lens and in that lens alone of who I am and who he created me to be, not in my, the service that I do for him um, is good. And it's been especially difficult. Right. I mean. It's like I feel like it's a little bit different too when you have a family when like you have uh like your primary vocation is at home and you're spending probably almost like too much time with them probably um you know and but to be not in a relationship to be stripped away of what I view to be my primary vocation at this point in my life is has been difficult and uh has like I said it's forced me to really place myself before the Lord in my relationship with Him alone and uh. Once I've got, once I got past that awkwardness and that, you know, like I said, timidness and approaching him like that has been very good. Especially as men, the first thing we'll we'll ask one another when we meet is, "Oh, what do you do?" As if again, our work is the most defining thing about us. And then to have a number of us who can't go to work are told our jobs are not essential, you know, that has a psychological impact. That's going to have a long-term psychological impact on a lot of people and those who've lost their jobs completely because of what we've done with the economy. You know, especially, again, as a man, the desire to provide for your loved ones, you just feel destroyed. But again, where God, that's where God comes in is like, is in the mess. God is, I really believe, is in the mess of, of all this and in the details if we look and allow him to to rise to the surface, so to speak.
Um, and to be okay, yeah, just kind of to be with God empty-handed. Like, I can't show you this great week of work that I had. I can't show you this awesome time I had in the Adoration Chapel because I couldn't even get into the chapel. We have to come with open, empty hands, and, and God sees that it's enough. So those are some of our lessons and our takeaways from the quarantine. Um, I imagine that a lot of people's experiences have been pretty similar, but if not, we'd love to hear about them. We'd love to pray about them with you. So feel free to... Go ahead to... and leave them in the comment section below. Why don't you go ahead and do me a huge favor and smash that like button. Yeah, smash it. <laughs> <laughs> Every like is a rosary that Alec will pray personally. <laughs> Done. Done. Yeah. That's fine. There's no like function, right? <laughs> no, no like function. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, re reflect on these. Maybe you've experienced them yourself or uh, whether you knew it or not. Um, but continue to try and make this time as fruitful as you can because there are a lot of things that we can't do, but there are also a lot of things that we can do. So we want to make sure we're doing what we can. Yeah, and honestly, if you do have any of these lessons or whatever that we have not talked about go ahead you can email us at sinners take at gmail or comment we have an instagram you can comment on that too and we'd love to explain them in the next episode or something uh because maybe i need to hear them too so <laughs> definitely bobby any last thoughts no the um, mike Rowe is a bass not a baritone so <laughs> i learned something today <laughs> Yeah, if that's the one thing that anyone takes away from this episode, <laughs> then I'll be happy. We've done our job. <laughs> our dirty job. For those of us <laughs> here at Sinner's Take, you will hear us in the next one. <laughs>